Well, good morning, everyone. It's really a delight to be with you. Um, I want to give you an encouragement. I try to share this every year, uh, I think most years at least, um, and that is during the summer, we have folks that come in and out. You know people are traveling. We have guests here and there, and I think it's a good time to kind of shake things up a little bit. And so what I want to encourage you to do is I know we are creatures of habit and we like to sit in the same place every Sunday. So you know where I'm going with this, right? Let me encourage you to switch places, sit somewhere else just for the sole purpose of being able to meet somebody you might not otherwise interact with. Um, because you'll be amazed when you change seats how you'll find somebody like, so how long have you been going here? Six months, six years, really? I've never met you before. So, so make an opportunity to, uh, or take the opportunity to change seats, meet somebody new, and just get the chance to uh, expand your circle a little bit, if you would. Um, and you can send me hate mail, and it won't bother me. It's okay. <laughs> I'm used to it. Well, by definition, self-preservation is a set of behaviors that ensures the survival of an organism. We see examples of this all the time in nature. Uh, for instance, when our area had a drought not too long ago, although we've been in a drought for some time, thank God for the rain we've had this year, but in times where there is a severe drought, uh, our trees get stressed. And I have a big oak tree in my backyard, and when that tree gets stressed, it drops acorns by the bucket loads. I mean hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds. If you have a tree like that, it's probably done the same thing. And that's because that's the tree's natural response for ensuring its survival. When it's stressed, it produces seeds. It's just amazing the way that works. Had another example of this that was really quite fascinating. Uh, if you know me, you know I hate weeds in my yard. And so uh, I'm diligent to pull every one of those little devils every time I see them. And this year, I've had an abundance of dandelions. Anybody else had like dandelions out the wazoo? Okay, me too. Well, I noticed in my backyard, I had a bunch of dandelions that I was determined to get rid of. So hands and knees, get down on my hands and knees, digging them one at a time. And I'm getting the root because I don't want them coming back, right? And I dug out a bunch of them, enough for a pretty big pile in my backyard, and I just kind of left them in that pile knowing that I was going to mow the next day. Well, I showed up the next day to that pile of dandelions, and would you believe that every one of those uprooted dandelions produced a seed full of, or a head full of seeds as if it was still planted in the ground? I was like, that's incredible. And at one part, I was frustrated, like, oh, man. On the other hand, I was like, wow, that's amazing. It's really incredible. But that's, that's the way nature is self-preserving. It has these, God built into them these ways of preserving and ensuring their survival. And humanity does as well. I don't know, some of you might remember this, um, but when we uh, got close to Y2K, you remember that? That was a big deal, right? When we got close to Y2K, people were storing food like crazy, right? Thinking that this might be the end of the world, as a lot of people thought it would be. Um, more recently, during the pandemic, we know how people panicked. I mean, they emptied the shelves of the grocery stores. Now, I'm not sure how toilet paper is essential to our survival, but apparently it is, because it happened. 
I mean, it was gone. Anytime there's scarcity, there is a human response of consumption. It's a human response of self-preservation. But when we live in a context of hope, when that's what drives our life, there's something different that happens. Instead of a fear of scarcity, there's really this underlying sense of security. Hope breeds contentment through the assurance of God's faithful provision. Instead of self-preservation, when your life is filled with hope, what you see instead is self-sacrifice. It looks very different. In our passage this morning, Paul's going to look at Christians like you and I, and he's going to say, that's you. Of all people, we should be the ones most filled with hope. And that hope should produce character qualities in our life that are not often seen in the world. So, yeah, those who are filled with hope might buy extra toilet paper, but it's only so they could give it away. And there were examples of that happening right here in our own church. Hope is what allows us to consider the needs of others as more important than our own. Hope is what fills our life with the joy and peace of God. And in our passage this morning, Paul is going to highlight some of the sources of hope in the life of a believer. He will point to the hope that we have in God's word, the hope that we have in Christ's work, and the hope in the power of the Holy Spirit. Did you get that? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all contributing to the lives of those who put their trust in Christ so that they might abound in hope. That's the blessing of God in our lives. So before we look at our passage this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we confess that in our world today, it's easy to lose sight of hope. It's easy to be distracted by some of the negative things that we see in the world, and in many cases, kind of get drugged down by them. But in some ways, this Lord, I pray that you, by your word and through the power of your spirit, allow us to rise above. Allow us to see the abundance of hope that is made possible through the gift of your word, through the work of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and through the power of your Holy Spirit that indwells us. Lord, would you just miraculously, graciously, Fill us up with hope and peace and joy this morning. Lord, that's our prayer. We know that that's not something that you have to do, but I know that it's something that you long to do as we turn to you, and so we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, if you would, turn to Romans chapter 15, and let's look at this together. I'd love for you to read along with me as we look at this passage with each other. So I'm going to start in verse 1 of chapter 15, where Paul's continuing to write, and he says this. He says, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength, and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, 
so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So Paul is actually continuing that same thought of the passage that we looked at last week where we learned that we are our brother's keeper, that each and every one of us is responsible and accountable for how our decisions impact those around us. We're called to give preference to one another in love, promoting the highest good of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And as we see in our passage this morning, Paul places the burden of that responsibility on those who are strong in their faith. Now, I would describe these as those who live in a true freedom in Christ that releases them from legalistic rules or performance-based righteousness. Those who walk humbly in the knowledge of God's love and the security of God's grace. Those who have spiritual maturity and have discerning hearts. Paul calls people like this to come alongside those who might require some more rigid restrictions. Choosing to help carry their load instead of adding to their burden. From our passage last week, we know that he gave us an example about how it wouldn't be right to invite someone in your home and to feed them a meat that had been sacrificed to idols or a glass of wine if it would betray their conscience. Instead, he said, enjoy the fellowship of a meal by just completely removing those obstacles because you don't need any of those things to experience joy and contentment in your life. So just enjoy the fellowship that you have with each other. Remember, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Exercising our own personal rights is always wrong if it hurts other people. I love what Eugene Peterson writes in the message in our passage this morning. He says this, he says, strength is for service, not for status. Isn't that good? Strength is for service, not for status. And Paul says that the strong should bear with the, the failings of the weak. He says that our goal is to edify our neighbor. That's what it means to show love, building each other up with encouragement instead of tearing each other down with criticism. And then Paul points to the example of Christ so that we can see that most clearly. Look again at verse 3. He says, for even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. This is a quotation from Psalm 69, where it's describing the suffering of one who is righteous. And what Paul is doing here is using that as a picture of Jesus Christ. He is the one who took on the, the reproach and the rebellion that was directed towards God that then fell upon him. Peter looks at that and says in chapter 1, verse 23, while being reviled, Jesus did not revile in return. While suffering, Jesus uttered no threats. But he kept entrusting himself to him who judges rightly. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you have been healed. Praise the Lord that, that, that Jesus continued to show love even when he was confronted with hatred. 
He was strengthened, as we see from that passage, by the assurance of God's righteous judgment. And see, that's, that hope is what freed him to show love instead of having to protect himself. In other words, his endurance was based on the assurance of God's promise. Yes, even Jesus relied on those truths. And if that's true of him, Paul says, as an example of his life, we should go and do the same. In other words, God's word, God's promises are what ultimately give us hope. He says, everything revealed in Scripture was written for your instruction. In other words, all of God's word is what we need for, for guidance and insight in life. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that, or 3.17 says, God's word makes us adequate and equipped for every good work. So be strong in God's truth. That's what allows you to serve with God's love. Instead of self-protection, it frees you to a life of self-sacrifice. Peter describes that freedom. Listen to how he says it in chapter one, verse two. He says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ seeing that his divine power has granted to us, here it is, everything, not some things, not a little bit of things, but everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us, and I love this, his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Our hope is knowing that we have everything that we need for life and godliness. Our hope is found in the precious and magnificent promises of God. We are eternally secure in the assurance of God's promises. So be strong in the truth. Because that what gives you the freedom to be faithful to share God's love. Let's look at how he continues in verse 5. He says, Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we are free to give to others, as we see in this passage, only because God so freely gives to us and is consistently at work in our lives. He is the one, as we see here, who gives us perseverance and encouragement so that, as, as he says here, we could be of the same mind. Now, this is a really important concept, so much so that, that Paul expands on this idea in Philippians chapter 2. If you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there and I know it's up on the screen, but let's look at it together because I think this is really important. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 begins, or excuse me, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 says this. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any affection and compassion, and let me just pause there. Because like we see in Romans, what Paul is doing here is identifying the blessings of what it means to be united in Christ. And in this one verse, he lists several things, how we receive encouragement, love, affection, compassion, fellowship of the Spirit. 
And because of those gifts that have been given to us, there's something that should be seen in us as a result. And that's what he begins to explain in verse two of that same passage. He goes on and says, make my joy complete by being, here it is, of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And how does that happen? Well, I'm glad you asked. Look at verse three. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Being united with Christ is what promotes unity among his people. We are of the same mind because we all serve the same purpose, the same person. We, we all share in the same purpose because we share in what that, the purpose that Christ has given us, right? We're not all doing our own thing based on our own desires and needs. We're, we're centered on one purpose, on one person, because of what Christ has called us to be. We are motivated by his love. We are empowered by his spirit. Our ultimate goal, as we see in this passage, is not to please ourselves, Our ultimate goal is to please him. When that becomes our collective purpose, our lives, according to Paul, become a chorus that gives praise to God. So I want you to think of it like this. Think of it like a choir, okay? There are lots of voices in a choir, right? Some of them have large parts. Some have small parts. Some can uh, sing high. Some can sing low, Some may actually sing more skillfully than others in that choir, but when their voices sing in unison, there is a beauty that creates a harmony of one single voice. And Paul is using that picture to help us see that that's the purpose of the church. The chorus we sing as God's people is the song of God's redemption. We are given praise and glory to the saving work of Jesus Christ. Look at how he explains that to us, beginning in verse 7. He says, therefore, accept one another, just as Christ has also accepted us to the glory of God. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers. And for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy as it is written, Therefore, I will give praise to you among the Gentiles. I will sing to your name. And again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. Again, Isaiah says, there shall come the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles hope. Unity depends on self-sacrificing humility. As we've talked about, letting go of our liberties in order to show love, considering the needs of others is more important than our own. Qualities that we see demonstrated in Christ's love for us. That's why Paul keeps pointing back to that example. We see that when Christ sacrificed his life on the cross so that we could find forgiveness of our sins. How he emptied himself of heaven's glory so that he could reveal himself to earth's 
humanity. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Paul says we should accept one another just as we have been accepted by Christ. And we all know, right, that he accepted us just as we were, right, warts and all. He didn't wait for us to get our life put together. He didn't wait for us to look clean and pretty. He accepted us just as we were. And so Paul says, go and do the same with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Giving each other grace and room to grow in faith, just as Christ has done for you. When you are united with Christ, we know that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? So knowing that's true, we shouldn't turn around and condemn other people. We know that when we are united in Christ, that our forgiveness is complete. And knowing this, we should turn and forgive others just as he has forgiven us. We should accept one another as Christ has accepted us. Because we all have the same hope of redemption. We believe Jesus fulfilled God's promise of salvation for the world. Paul emphasizes that fact through all these Old Testament quotations. The first one is a quotation from David as he reveals God's plan for God's people. Because when God set Israel apart, he wanted them to be a light among the nations. They were commissioned to declare the mercies of God that had been extended to them and are being offered to the world. And I think Paul uses this verse because in many ways, he's continuing that commission, isn't he? He's proclaiming the mercies of God to both Jews and Gentiles. The second is a word from Moses, and it extends that mercy into the people of the Gentiles. People, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, are separate from Christ excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But God's plan of redemption broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. It brought mercy into the world of the Gentiles. Ephesians goes on and says, but now Christ Jesus, who you, were, you who were formerly far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. This invitation of redemption extends to both Jews and Gentiles from every tribe, tongue, and nation. No one, no one is outside the boundary of God's love. Which is why Paul told us earlier in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's why Peter says in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, for there is no salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given unto men by which we can be saved. Jesus is the root of Jesse. He is the promised descendant of David. He is the Savior of the world. Our hope is is planted firmly in the sufficient work of Jesus Christ. Look at how he continues in verse 13. There's a lot packed into this one verse, so listen closely. He says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
We find our hope in the Word of God. We find our hope in the work of Christ. And as we see here, we, we find our hope in the Holy Spirit. You see, hope is not something that, that we achieve. It's ultimately something that we receive. The God of all hope is the one who fills us with joy and peace. And Paul wants us to know that we receive that through believing. As the writer of Hebrews tells us, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So, so believing is where we find the, the source of our hope. But the question is, believing in what? How about believing in everything that we've been talking about so far? Believing in the truth of God's word. Believing in the sufficient work of Christ. Believing in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. That's how we abound in hope. So when we encounter doubts and discouragement, which we inevitably will, we rely on God's truth. We don't trust in our emotion or or try to lean on our own understanding. We go to God's word and we anchor ourselves in the truth of God's word. When we fall or struggle with issues and sin in our life, we we don't try to manage our sin on our own. Now, we probably have all tried that, and if so, we inevitably have all failed at that. We can't do it. We can't manage our own sin. So we look to the cross. We confess our sin, and we acknowledge his forgiveness. And none of this, not a single piece of it, is possible without the work of the Holy Spirit within us. Ephesians chapter 3, Paul prays, and I think this prayer is so good, because listen to what it says. It says in verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, through whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, through believing. And that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. And to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Isn't that good? That's where we find our hope. Through his spirit who strengthens our inner man. Through the understanding of God's love demonstrated through the sacrifice of Christ, through the assurance that he is able to do far more than we could ever ask or imagine. We abound in hope when we trust in God's word, when we believe in the work of Christ, when we rely on the Holy Spirit. And I think hidden within these passages are some of the outcomes of what you see in the life of someone whose life is filled with hope, someone who truly looks at God's word and is anchored there, Someone who relies on the work of of Christ on the cross, knowing that they can't do it on their own. And someone who trusts in that spirit at work within them. So that even when they are weak, they are strong because of him. Those three things are this. 
I believe they edify, they unify, and they testify. Those who are filled with hope, they edify, they unify, and they testify. In verse 2, Paul says, each one of us is to please his neighbor for his good, here it is, to his edification. And let me just say here, this is not just some general encouragement, some nice words, but instead, this is the knowledge of knowing that person well enough to know their need so that everything you say is tuned in to what you know is happening in their heart. There is a relational quality to this kind of encouragement. I think Paul speaks to that in Ephesians 4.29 when he says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only what such a word that is good for, there it is, edification according to, there it is, the need of the moment that it may give grace to those who hear. Christians who are filled with hope give grace to those who hear. They are engaged relationally with people to to know what is in their heart so that the words that they speak are not just general encouragement, but the encouragement that person needs. They edify, but they also unify. Paul describes it in verse 5 when he talks about being of the same mind. And let me clarify here, this doesn't mean that everyone agrees with everyone else, that we all believe the same things about everything. Instead, what it does mean is that we know where agreement is necessary and where it's not. We know the hills to die on and the ones to just let go. Augustine said it this way, he said, in the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. As I've said before, it's not our job to create unity. Unity is a gift of the Spirit in the lives of the believer. Okay? It's not our job to create unity. It is our responsibility to protect unity. Unity is a work of the Spirit in the lives of those who are filled with hope. We edify. We unify. And then finally, we testify. Paul describes this in verse 6 when he says that with one accord, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christians who are filled with hope bring glory and honor to God. It's not about them. It's all about Him. Their lives exude the love of God. Have you ever been around a person like that? I mean, you just want to spend all day with them because there's just something about them that is attractive that goes beyond them. There's something that they say that speaks to your heart when you're with them. They testify to the gracious and merciful work of God in their lives. They're vulnerable. They're transparent. They're willing to share their scars so that you can see their Savior. They want you to know the redemptive work that He has done. See, those who are filled with hope still struggle with doubt, right? but not without hope. They, they struggle with doubt even, even though there is this sense of th- those who battle temptation, but with hope. There are those who grieve as we should grieve, but again, not without hope. See, hope is the, 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 the thing that binds it all together. We all struggle and have different uh, challenges in our life, 
But what distinguishes us as believers is that we don't go through any of those challenges without hope. I don't know how many conversations I've had with people who have looked at the world around us about those who don't know Christ, and they wonder, how in the world do they get through that if they don't have hope? But we are a people whose lives have been filled with hope. So so let me encourage you with this. I, I, I don't know where everybody is in this moment, But I want to encourage you with the fact that no matter where you are, that what you have in front of you is something that is filled with hope. And so if you are in a place of doubt, I want you to be comforted by hope that God is with you and that he will lead you. If you are in the midst of a a difficult situation where you're dealing with sin and temptation in your life, Just know that this is not you trying to figure this out on your own and God is watching to see if you make it through or not, but that he is with you, that he is for you, and that you can battle with hope. So let me encourage us all to to find hope by anchoring our lives in the truth of God's word, to consistently looking at the sufficiency of Christ's work, and to always rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. I think Paul wants us to understand that if we want to abound in hope, those are the places we live because that's where that hope is found. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for the gift of your hope. Thank you for your word that you didn't leave us to ourselves to try to figure this out on our own, but you've put a lamp into our feet and a light into our path so that we don't have to lean on our own understanding, but in all our ways that we can acknowledge you and the truth of your word to guide and direct our lives. Oh God, thank you for the work of Jesus Christ, the sufficiency of that work, one sacrifice for all sin, for all time, for all who believe. So no matter what we may be going through, we can keep looking at the cross and know that our forgiveness is complete and our eternity is secure because of Christ. And Father, thank you that even though we look towards that day, even in this moment, you are with us through the work of your Holy Spirit. You bring conviction in our lives. And with that conviction, you bring the assurance of forgiveness. And with that forgiveness, you bring everlasting hope that you who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it. Even when we're not faithful, you are faithful to complete it. So Lord, may we live in the abundance of that hope that you have provided for us. We pray this in your name. Amen. It's good news. Why don't you have a seat? I'm going to have uh, Jeff come up and introduce somebody. Before you do, um, let me just share something with you. I want to be honest with you. This topic of hope is a hard one for me. You know my story. You know how, it easy, how easy it is for me to get lost in the what-if worry of the future how I can easily become anxious in my life. But what I learned from this passage that was really comforting to me was that it was the, as if the Lord was speaking to me and just saying, yeah, and you're not going to be able to get there on your own. You need others. You find that hope when people speak into your life. When you pursue relationships where God's word becomes the anchor, where they remind you 
of the sufficient work of Christ, where they stir within you the, the power of the Spirit who leads and guides your life. So what I want you to hear me say to you this morning is that sometimes I think we can look at these passage, passages like this and we can kind of beat ourselves up and think, gosh, I need to do better with that. Well, maybe we do, but I'm convinced that we only do better when we do it together. This is a struggle for me, which means I need you. And I'm assuming I'm not the only one who could use somebody to come alongside them from time to time. I'm going to assume, I hope safely so, that that applies to every person in this room, right? So, so let me encourage you as we spend time together this summer, and some of us have a little more flexibility with our time to really be intentional about pursuing one another. And when you sit down with someone, would you listen closely to what is happening in their hearts so that you can speak truth to them that gives grace in the need of that moment? Would you do that? Even if you think somebody's got it all figured out and they're the pastor of the church and they don't have any problems, would you still take time to visit with them and remind them of the sufficient work of Christ? We need each other. We were created from community for community. So let's live in community. Amen.